Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Unsighted Radio. So happy to have you back, whether it's a good morning, good afternoon, or a good evening. I hope you're doing good, and I hope you are feeling fine. All right, guys, if you know anybody that wants to listen to the episodes, please let them know the podcast is available pretty much everywhere you get the podcast. It is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. It's just the Unsighted Radio. But you need to make sure to spell Unsighted, U-N-S-Y as in Yankee, T-E-D, the Unsighted Radio. Please consider becoming a member of the Unsighted Army. All righty. Well, everybody, we got a great episode today. I met this guest at the Disability Expo. It was super fun to get to know them. And obviously, he was a part of the little special episode that I have coming out here shortly, or it could already be up by the time this episode goes up, um, where he was at the Disability Expo uh, playing some games and having some fun. We won't mention a certain game. We won't do that. We're going to be nice. We're going to be on our best behavior, especially for our guest today, because the guest today is the great and powerful the Wobbly Gamer. What an intro. That's all I'm going to say there. <laughs> thank How you. Thank are... you for having hey, me. Hey, not a problem, man. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Very good. That's good. You're good. How are you doing after the expo? Do you have the post-expo blues? I do, because it's like you've kind of got everything building up to it. You're busy. You're making sure you're packed. You're making sure you haven't forgotten your controller or whatever it is. And then you're like, oh, that's me done. Well, what am I going to do now? Play video games, I suppose. But yeah, there we yeah. go. Um, kick a certain grumpy dad in FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, uh, stop, stop the smack talk, I think, uh, is what uh, I'm going to go down the line of. <laughs> that's a little inside joke but for those of uh you who follow me on twitter you probably have seen uh me posting about that but we'll leave it at that anyways um i think let's get started and if you could my friend let the people know who wobbles is so i am the wobbly gamer i'm a visually impaired and disabled content creator accessibility consultant and streamer it all yes. sounds very fancy doesn't it it does. It does. It's an awesome thing that you've got going on, especially with the streaming. You're killing it, crushing it, and being competitive. It's just amazing to see. Love to see it. Great representation for the community, obviously. Um, so super congrats that all you do, that you do. You're amazing uh, represent uh, representation for the community, my friend. I try. That's what it's about. It's mm -hmm. about representing the visually impaired community and showing people that we do game we don't just we don't sit and just listen to audiobooks which i think everyone thinks is we all do i think that's that's the big one. Oh, didn't you just like really listen to audiobooks no no funnily enough <laughs> yeah so we're gonna leave the gaming for a little bit later because i just have a feeling that's really what the bulk of this episode is gonna be about so i want to get a little bit more about you before we get into that so uh would you mind sharing a little bit of your lived experience with disability? So I was born prematurely for, it wasn't a lot of weeks. It was, I think it was six weeks premature, but I was actually born with a concave skull and due to an infection, my mum caught while pregnant. I can never remember the proper name of it. 
I'm a nightmare, but I got, instead of me developing, the body concentrated on fighting the infection and I came out underdeveloped and I was born with something called delayed visual maturation, which basically meant I was born blind without the ability to see and paralyzed down my left-hand side. Wow. And as I got older, the sight got better to a certain point and my mum and dad had to do like quite intense therapy with me pick me up push me over onto my left hand side because there was a slight movement in the body and eventually your body would go you need to put your hand out to stop you falling over and eventually my body went oh we're going to put your hand out and you'll stop falling over and that's they taught me to move basically so that was me i um, was as i say born totally blind by the time i was four i could see a meter bubble and then it quite quickly progressed until I went through, as I say, I went through mainstream school, didn't go through any specialist schools. I went through mainstream university, studied hospitality, business management, and kind of like, as I say, married with a child. I've got a six-year-old little boy and done it all. I was 24 when I found out my vision was getting worse. And my little boy was, what, 10 months old at the time? And... Bit like a punch in the face, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it was me getting knocked me for six, absolutely battered me for six. I was quite a competent person. Was a restaurant manager in a hotel at the time, uh, one of the best restaurants. The the at that time the best restaurant in Suffolk in England. Restaurant manager there, and it absolutely it knocked me for six. I lost all sense of my confidence. I used to be able to speak to everyone and anyone in the restaurant. You have to be able to do that. Yeah, and this kind of came in sideswiped me. And one of the things was, will I be able to play video games? Mm. And that was, people say I'm mad. They're like, you've got a little boy at home and obviously thought about him and the wife and wanting him to grow up and all the cliche things of wanting to see him walk down, his, walk, see his wife walk down the aisle, see my grandkids if he has them grow up. And I was like, no, but I can't play FIFA. <laughs> people, you're, you're mental. Why do you want to play FIFA anyway? It's rage inducing. <laughs> But that was it. And it smacked me for six. And I spent a lot of time picking myself up, dusting myself off and trying to go again. And it took a while. It took some support, like a lot of support from my family and my wife. And I'm kind of here six years later mm -hmm. doing all of this crazy stuff. Been through the mill and back again a couple of times. And like I say, just kind of, don't want to do that cliche thing, but in my head, there's always someone that's in a worse position than me. I'm lucky. I've got family. I've got all four limbs. And yeah, I just can't see great sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It sounds like a journey, but um, I mean, even I though... I didn't even we... mention the oh, nystagmus. I forgot that bit, didn't I? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, the reason why you're called the wobbly camper. Yeah, just a, just a small <laughs> bit of information there. So yeah, <laughs> the brain damage led to the so the brain damage I was born with led to nerve damage in the brain, which caused nystagmus, which causes my pupils to wobble uncontrollably. It's quite a common visual impairment. Yeah, it is. Most people have it that have a visual impairment. It's like the I don't even know how to. It's like the bread at a restaurant. If you've got visual impairment, you kind of tend to get nystagmus with it. I don't really know how else to describe, but so and many it's, people it's I like, know. Oh, you want the spaghetti? Here's here's some free bread. Oh, you 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 have RP and I can, here here's nystagmus. Yeah, it is. It is. It's kind of like a really weird way of saying it. Actually, I've never put it like that, but <laughs> it works. So um, 
I was born with that. That's my main condition. I've got one of the lovely side effects that only I think it only affects like one in a thousand people with nystagmus, and that is the head wobble. It's apparently your body trying to counteract the eye wobble by making your head wobble. I don't know why. I, it's a science behind it. It's all to do with the muscles and everything. And I've got that, which is lovely. And I am the wobbly gamer. So <laughs> I'm literally the wobbly gamer. I've had millions of nicknames to do with it. Winston Churchill was one, because if you've ever seen the <laughs> Churchill car insurance with the not, Yep, there we go. The nodding dog in the back of the car. So Churchill was one. Um, oh, yeah. If you can think of it, I've pretty much heard it. And it's just, that's me. I don't mind it. I embrace it. Mm-hmm. It's it's part of me. It's my disability. I am I am wobbly. I am me. I can't see straight all the time. I walk into things. I do stupid things. I say hello to people that I thought was someone that I don't recognise. And, you know, like we all do. And just you get on with it. And that's me. I like to think I'm doing it all right. Yeah. Killing it, man. But I had never until I met you uh, known that nystagmus can actually affect more than just the eyes. Because obviously, I'm pretty familiar with nystagmus since when I have it myself. But my sister has it really, really bad. Um, um, Hers is super bad. Like to the point where even though my RP, um, so my retinitis pigmentosa is worse than hers because her nystagmus is so bad. Her her vision is actually just as bad as mine. And but if if her nystagmus like could just be you know gotten rid of, she'd have a lot better vision than me. But it's just like one of those things where it's just it's developed so bad. It's like most people who like can see that look at her can visibly see her eyes like just shaking all the time. But I had never yeah. heard of the head. No, it's not common. <laughs> it's not. It's it's literally called HSN, head shaking nystagmus. Mm. It's not common, but it's what it is. Yeah, I've just yeah. kind of got on with it. it. I've got quite good usable vision, as I say, in terms of visually, visually impaired world. But it's me i don't i've never lived without it i've never like my mom and dad would tell me tomorrow would i probably turn around and say tomorrow it'd be weird if you didn't have it wouldn't it yeah it would (laughs) but that's what it's that's what it's like without my family growing up i wouldn't be what i am because my i've got two older sisters Mm. and my mom and dad were quite brutal about it they're like by the time he gets to school you two are going to have bullied him enough that he doesn't care and it worked. I'd, I'd get to school and someone would be like, oh, you've got four eyes. I'd be like, is that it? Is that the best you've got? Come on. <laughs> get creative. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm curious to ask you, so you obviously mentioned how you were born prematurely um, due to you know, your mother having an infection while she was pregnant with you. Um, so... Were the doctors, like, did they, did they tell your mom at any point, like, his vision may never come back or he, he may never get movement in the left side of his butt? Like, I, I'm, so, I was, I'm curious about that. Yeah, no. So um, they didn't actually find out I was blind until I was seven weeks old. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually my mom's best friend's sister. She's a really, she used to wear a lot of jewelry. 
like um, apparently she was from London. It's a common thing in common place for London women to wear large amounts of jewelry in them days. And she used to wear a, quite a large amount of big necklaces. And at seven weeks old, she turned around to my mum and was like, is the only baby that has never one stared at them and two grabbed them. Mm. Something's not right. And mum took me to the mum and dad were like, okay, we better probably go and check because that sounds plausible. They both worked in the care system at the time with children and adults with learning difficulties and autism. Went, took me to the hospital, did, they did loads of tests, came out, I was all these had these difficulties, the blindness and the paralysis on the left. So mum and dad went, sat in like a consultant's room as you do, but there wasn't just one in there because of the case and things like that. It was like three or four of them. And my mum's, my dad still says it now, is the exact words they used were, bearing in mind this is only 30 years ago, your son is going to be a, will, a vegetable, we would recommend putting him in the care system. Yeah. And my, that was only 30 years ago. That was lit, My dad said that's the exact words they used. The, your son is going to be a vegetable, we recommend you putting him in a care home or the, into the care system. And they said no, both luckily, because they worked in care homes with children, adults with learning difficulties and additional needs. So they were like, no, we can't, we're not going to do that. Mm. And I went through like physio and it was all guesswork. It still is guesswork now. I could lose my sight in six months, six years or six, I could never lose my sight. It is all guesswork because it's to do with the brain. Mm -hmm. It's hard to track. It's hard to keep, it's hard to monitor because it's all nerves. It's not something they can scan and tell you, oh, your brain, the nerves there are fine or whatever. It's just something that we've got to get on with. And they do regular brain scans now to make sure there's nothing horrendous creeping in. But other than that, it's literally just kind of, crack on yeah and it's, it's always it's always been like that yeah but it's so interesting to see just because you know obviously you and i are i think we're the same age correct i'm 30 bang on yeah i'm 32 yeah so it's yeah. it's it's amazing how in both of our lifetimes since we were born obviously we both had conditions that went undiagnosed for a period of time before we got the diagnosis and when we did how the understanding of just disability and health conditions in general, it's just like, oh, back then, they literally tell you, your son's going to be a vegetable, put him in a care system. Nowadays, they probably would never say anything close to that. No. It just speaks to that there just wasn't research back in those days. Like, I mean, I know it sounds in a way gross to say this, but if you're going to end up with a disability or a chronic health condition, I mean, it's better off to do it now than back in those days because of the uh, support and the technology mm -hmm. that we have nowadays. Because back then, when I was first you know, going blind, they're just like, okay, here's a magnifier in a telescope. <laughs> Good luck, kid. And you're just like, well, what the hell do I do with this? Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I didn't need like the... Like, the magnified screens or anything like that the electric ones because when i was in primary school they were just kind of a thing mm -hmm. but it was like on a tv unit and you'd slide it under and they they, they would like i was like i don't need one and they were like all right we'll give you some sheet magnifying glasses sheet ma sheet magnifiers it's a bit of plastic that you sit on top of the book and i used to work for a sight loss charity and our head of accessible technology in the charity you used to go nuts if anyone ever recommended a mag sheet magnifying glass or a bar magnifier. Absolute doolally. And in them days, that's all they gave you. Here's some free magnifying glasses that are yeah. absolutely awful. Good luck. Crack on. 
yeah, it's like here here's this tool that oh by the way, you have a progressive eye condition. You're probably not gonna be able to use this uh for that long, you know. It'll probably get to a point where it's unusable for you. Uh and like, well, what can I use when it gets worse? Well, right now, nothing. It's like, well, yeah, thanks, well, thanks, docs. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays they're we'll like Here's this device that can read everything for you. You just got to take a picture of it. Oh, you can also change the color contrast. You're just like, where was this when I did it? Yeah, here's an iPhone. Just crack on, you'll be fine. But yeah. <laughs> it's it's all built into one thing these days, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Where yeah, you're, uh, where, where was that when we were kids? Literally, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's uh. just it's just a different era when it comes to the understanding of the eyes and neurology. Um, and, and thank God, because we get so much better assistance and, and uh, consultancy from doctors when it comes to oh, yeah, diagnosis. Yeah, because I mean, I can, better. yeah, I mean, I mean, I can only imagine like your parents, obviously, with their background in the care system, they're just like, oh, my goodness. I can only imagine like if someone told my mom that like, oh, my gosh, she probably stabbed the doctor. Yeah, <laughs> no, my mom. I think- yeah, my, I don't think my mom was too far off of it because, yeah. especially as I worked in the care system and things like that, it's yeah. You, do, you could you imagine telling a parent these days to put the child in the care system? Mm-hmm. I'd be on the front of the newspaper the next day. <laughs> I think most <laughs> parents would. Yeah, it would be on the front of a newspaper. And the doctor told me to get rid of my child. It would be just yeah. It's just in it's what however many years of people fighting for it to be honest isn't it it's advocacy it's rights as a disabled person have got better somewhat yeah that's a whole debate for a whole different subject isn't it (laughs) yeah 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 uh i have a question for you my friend so when it comes to describing your vision to people in terms of usable vision um how, how do you do so like um you know i i know this sounds weird of one blind person to another, but uh, what 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 usable vision do you have, and what can you see? Um, so I've got fifty percent of a person with twenty twenty. So I've basically got if they've got twenty twenty, I've got fifty percent of that. Okay. I've got fifty percent of a sighted person's usable vision, but that's on a good day wearing glasses. I do wear glasses. They don't correct much of the vision, but they just stop things being blurry and reduce eye strain. Mm-hmm. Um, but. It varies very much on nystagmus from day to day, as you probably understand with your sister. If yeah. you're tired, it's worse. If you're stressed, it's worse. It's if you've it. So many variable factors to it. It's you never know what you're gonna wake up to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's even weirder for my sister because with her having you know autosomal recessive RP, progressive, it's just like it's like you have something that changes and then on top of that you have something that changes every day as well so it's just it's it's so weird it's like oh my you don't goodness. know whether it's one yeah getting worse or it's the other having a bad day with the other nystagmus it's yeah yeah it's just like i can't even wrap begin to wrap my head around it head around it no i can't no it's i'm I say to people it sounds mad but i say to people unfortunate mm-hmm. that i was born with this condition because developing nystagmus is supposed to be quite hard mm due to the motion sickness and the body getting used to the consistent movement and the wobble and things like that 
So nystagmus is actually one of the ones that's probably more fortunate for you to be born with, if mm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have half of the side effects that you would have if you would if you develop as a develop it as an adult or a child. Oh right. Yeah, because then it's just like a very drastic change. Yeah, it's such a huge change because of the motion. You don't I don't even notice that my the world's moving, if that makes sense. It's right. just I don't notice. I know I can only really tell the difference when my head's really bad. If I get, I do suffer from motion sickness. It's like seasickness on land. It's blooming horrible. Mm-hmm. But um, most of the day, I don't know my head's wobbling. Can't tell you right. if it's wobbling. Can't tell you my eyes are wobbling. It's just I can tell if I'm having a bad day because I can't see as much. Yeah, that that really just brings up like the topic of just spectrum of vision loss and disability because mm-hmm. it's like you know everybody loses their vision at a certain point. Some of us are born blind or born of nystagmus. Some of us develop it young. Some of us, you know, later on in our life. So it's like, you know, for instance, you know, like um, talking to people is like, oh, I've been blind since birth. So I can, you know, I can only imagine how hard it was for someone who had vision and usable vision mm-hmm. for 20 years. And then now they start losing. That had to be hard because obviously on their lived experience, they've known nothing but complete blindness. So like for my sister, like you were saying, she suffers a lot from nausea because of her nystagmus. Yeah. And that's because she's, you know, she started developing it later in her life versus someone like you, your experience is like, well, I've always had it, so I don't really suffer from any of the side effects that other people would if they developed it later no. in life. Yeah, it, it's literally that. It's not my body's conditioned to it. It's just mm. like conditioned training in sport. It's mental. It's not very much different to that. My body's conditioned to deal with it. It has adjusted to it. It knows what is going on. It's not my brain. It's not going, oh, my God, what's going on? It's right. Well, this is what we've got. This is what we've had. I'll just go on with it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so you um you worked for a time um as a restaurant manager for a hotel. Um yep. and obviously around uh twenty four is when your vision started getting a little bit worse. And that's kind of when it sets you back for six years or so, you say. Um no, no, go ahead. No, I was gonna say so. It, um, I actually went back into hospital. I had about a year away, uh-huh. and went back into hospitality. It okay, was. Okay. I had got into my head that I was gonna be blind by the time I was like forty. I okay. built this up into my own head, and I was like, I've got two choices in life. Like make as much. I was. It sounds mad, doesn't it? But you kind of got your family to support, and I was. I need to make as much money as possible. Basically, I want to be in a position where if things go hits up, I lose my sight, whatever. We're in a stable situation as a family. We've got a mortgage, we've got a house we own, and we can live off of means and things like that. So I threw myself into hospitality a year later. And okay. I went, wow, I worked for another four years, three years maybe, three or four years in hospitality. Worked my way up to hotel manager at a hotel. And six weeks before I was due to start working as a hotel manager, I packed the job in. <laughs> For most people, they're, they, they're part and say, maybe he is a little mental. <laughs> yeah, no, my, but, it was, 
yeah, go ahead. You 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 it, had an opportunity. It was it was a bit of a sudden streak, apparently. My dad reckons it was me and my wife had been going through trouble, and I was like, I want a new job. And I'd actually been told as a cheat, like a child, by a, a child as a teenager working part time in a restaurant. I'd never make it in the hospitality industry by a French restaurant manager who was an arsehole. And a teacher <laughs> at school had said I'd never make it in hospitality. Uh, those good old and teachers. Good old teachers. And if you tell me I can't do something, I'm a nightmare. Yeah. Because I will go out of my way and I will do it because someone's <laughs> told me I can't. And and especially if they say you can't because you can't see properly, I'm like, wait, no, 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 hold up. We don't do that around here. Mm-hmm. And I rang my dad up. I was like, oh, I've left. I've quit. He's like, what? I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm quit. He's like, what? You've worked, I worked 13 years from 16 till 15 till 28, roughly. I had grafted to get to the top of the hospitality chain, so to speak. And my dad went, I, he went, I knew you were going to do this because you'd proved them wrong. And that was it. And he was like, you've got to the top, you've proved people wrong. And now you're going to try and do something else. And that's what I tried to do. I went and worked in the sight loss sector, charity sector for a year as a family worker for a sight loss charity. That didn't work out. Got made redundant March, this February, March time this year. And during the last five years, I've obviously been doing the accessibility stuff on the side, which we can talk about in a bit. And my wife was like, go for it. She was like, you've done hospitality. We know you're not going to, you could still but lose your sight, but you've made that mistake of trying to make money. Why don't you make yourself happy? Mm. And that's what I'm doing. Yeah. It was, I'd been in some pretty places with my mental health and things like that because of it and just put myself first and yeah. put done done something to make a difference I think more than anything I was fed up of making money for ourselves <laughs> yeah I mean you know I, I can definitely relate to that I think a lot of people can relate to that is um, especially a lot of societies you know they have this model or this preconceived model of what we're supposed to, you know, have a life look like. And, you know, it's supposed to be that nine to five job, you know, the 401k and the mortgage and, you know, the house, the car, and that's what we're supposed to, you know, go to school for. And it's, 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 and with a disability, you almost get to a point sometimes where you're feeling like, I, I can't really make myself happy or I have to put my happiness on the back shelf for others um for some weird reason we sometimes I feel a lot of us get into our own heads it's just like well I I I don't need to be happy you know I'm just fine with the privileges that I have already and I should just be happy with what I have and where I'm at and the security and the support systems that I have and that that's good enough for me I don't need anything more um, but the reality is, is it's okay to be selfish sometimes, and it's okay to want happiness for yourself. And if you have to chase that happiness in a alternative way, that's outside of, you know, those normal kind of cliches, then that's what you got to do. Because at the end of the day, you got one life. And I, I think, you know, for me and most likely for you, it's 
I don't want to be on my deathbed thinking what would have happened if I said yes to Simon O'Gorman telling me to come over to London to attend the Disability Expo. It's like, I would have wondered where that could have taken me for the rest of my life. So it's like, I'm going to say yes. And, you know, you just, you just got to sometimes take that leap of faith. And it's scary to do it, but sometimes you got to do the things that are scary. You've got to take risks. Mm-hmm. The biggest shots you regret are the ones you never take, not the ones you miss. Mm-hmm. I think, and like we, me and my wife, live by the sentence of something, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. We went, we had a little boy that we've been through, like it's trigger warning miscarriages previously and things like that. Mm-hmm. And like we've said to each other, we've been together 10 years and like we say to each other now, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And stand by that. Live with, live by it. Everything happens for a reason. Everything's got a moat, ulterior motive, fate, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Everything happens for a reason, and that's. I got made redundant, and we were like, "Well, what else are you gonna do?" I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, job." I was job. I was already looking for the next job, mm-hmm. the, the nine to five, Monday to Friday office, whatever. And it was the wife that went, "Well, you're just not going to be happy. Why don't you try doing what you want to do?" and make a difference and give the wobbly gamer a shot yeah and kudos to your wife because it's so important to have that type of person or those type of people in your life um because sometimes you know you you can't you know get out of the corner on your own sometimes you need that hand to help you get out of the the corner the you know to lead you to the other side and you know obviously we acknowledge our privilege by having those people because there's so many that don't. Um, but it just continues to speak to um, why it's so upsetting when people don't have those types of support systems, because, you know, for me personally, if I lacked the family and friends that I had and that I have, I mean, probably would not be alive right now honestly no, that's, no, that's the 100% biggest thing with you on that one yeah yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like i'm i'm very privileged to have those people and mm-hmm. you know it's amazing to hear how much faith and trust your wife has in you and you know her saying that to you because honestly you know that probably has meant the world to you that she's allowed you to pursue this and to become wobbly gamer and see who wobbly can be that's yeah it is that's what i think she said it's like my friends say as well they're excited to to watch the journey Mm -hmm. it's it's come from me kind of streaming once every four weeks or two weeks and doing the occasional bit of accessibility work to streaming five days a week Mm -hmm. working around the streams with the accessibility stuff doing stuff, being in places, doing Disability Expo, going to Develop in Brighton, which is a video games developers conference, and just doing it properly and dedicating time and resources to it as well, which is another crazy thing my wife is absolutely incredible for. It's Especially in the middle of a cost of living crisis in the UK, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is what it is. And, and I'm ha- that's what we say. We're both saying we're happier than we've ever been because... Yeah. I'm seeing my little boy. I missed. I didn't see him a lot in hospitality, to be honest, because the unsociable hours, the workload, especially being a hotel manager, it's a 365 mm-hmm. day job. If you could be sat by a pool and someone could be ringing you, going, "There's something wrong in the cellar. Who do we call?" 
and it's been there, done that. We've I've got the scars and the, the blood, sweat, and tears to prove it. But it's without taking risks. That was that was easy compared yeah. to taking that risk and jump, making the jump of faith into the wobbly game of shoes. To put it bluntly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so talk to me about what you're doing now. Obviously, uh, to my audience, you know, Wobbles here uh, is a phenomenal streamer. Um, he is super good at FIFA. I mean, it's amazing. I wouldn't to see. say good. Come on, man. You, you got to give yourself a little bit more credit. I mean, you're able to compete against people that don't have any disabilities and actually beat <laughs> them in games. And that's that's incredible. That. That's a real accomplishment, you know? It definitely shows what is possible when we really just problem-solve what could be a barrier or a hurdle, and it just speaks to your skill as a gamer. You do have skills, my friend. Yeah, when you put it like that, I suppose it's <laughs> right. It's, yeah, it's true. It's We're not only battling... I say to people, I'm not only playing against my opponent on the screen, I'm playing against the game, the inaccessible game itself. Mm-hmm. It's I'm having to work twice as hard as the person that's got the control on the other side of the screen that's playing from wherever else. Mm-hmm. But it was that's what kind of drove me to doing what I do. So I say I'm an accessibility consultant. I talk to video games companies about how to make their games more accessible for visually impaired, blind, and disabled gamers. Mm-hmm. I specialize in visual impairment and blindness, but I can recommend and help with other disabilities but i prefer not to because i believe if you go in to get to speak to someone about how to cater for that game for their disability you ask them not me 100 percent. yeah it's all about asking the people with the lived experience it's like yep i might have an understanding of what they need but i will never truly know what they need because i just have the outside looking in and what I can offer is the vision side of things. Now, if you want mm-hmm. motor neural, cognitive, um, deaf, you know, big D, little D, deaf, then I and then I know some people that you should talk to. So then that's where, you know, that's it, yeah. you pay it forward. You give it to the people that can share those lived experiences. It's 100% as to saying this, don't talk about this without us. Absolutely. It, it's what it says on the tin, don't. If you want to talk about accessibility in video games, don't just blindfold on your developers. <laughs> don't just ask. Don't don't just ask them to play one-handed. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna. They're not gonna appreciate it. They're not gonna have an understanding. They're not gonna give you the same level of feedback, the same level of knowledge, the same level of lived experience. I've spent uh, five years now learning about accessibility and watching content playing in access so inaccessible games i could i'm a bit of a crazy one i could sit and play the accessible games i can sit and play the last of us the god of wars they are phenomenal games do not get me wrong they have paved the way for accessibility in gaming mm-hmm. they've set the gold standard but i don't look for that that I look for the next company that aren't making their games accessible and go, right, me and you are going to be having words. Right. And yeah. that's what I like to do. I don't I don't see why games shouldn't be accessible anymore. It's oh, been no. proven they can be. Yeah, no, 100%. And that's 
that's why I do what I do. It's this. I could sit here for two hours and tell you why I do this. <laughs> I can. I could. I could do it for hours and hours <laughs> and hours. Why I sh- game should be accessible for mental health reasons, for social reasons, for moral reasons, just everything and everything. Why these games should be accessible, but that's as I say, I could sit here for hours. But that's for a totally different discussion. This. It's just. Game should be accessible. In the words of Xbox, when everybody plays, we all win, and that's that. That I'm getting that tattooed on my arm at some point, so I can oh, point man. to it when I for the millionth time. That's amazing. That's such a great idea for a tattoo. <laughs> no, it really, it really is. Yeah, it, it's. It, it, I now say that alongside everything happens for a reason. It's my other thing now is when everybody plays, we all win because I have the time of my life playing video games with my friends. And I get wound up to heck when I still see people complaining that they can't play video games. And it's not that person's fault that they're disabled or for whatever reason they can't play video games. And I just get wound up and it's now a life goal of mine to make a difference with it. Yeah, 100%. You know, I I myself am trying to navigate the waters and definitely... I would love to do more consultancy with companies really start to work on that more. Um, Cause obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, same, I'm so, so passionate about gaming. And it's not just because it's something that I did when I had my usable vision, it was fun. It's something that I did after I got my diagnosis and knew that there may come a time that I might not be able to play this ever again. But in the meantime, it's going to help me cope. It's going to help me mentally. It's going to help me uh, emotionally. Um, You know, I can't control my vision loss in the outside world. But inside these games, I don't have to think about it for the time being. I can just immerse myself into these games. And, you know, there was no sadder moment for me. And you, and you, you know, you've mentioned it earlier at the start of, you know, near the end of the, the beginning of the episode, that feeling of a point in your life you're like, wow, so I can no longer play video games for us gamers who we not just play it for the fact it's fun, but play it because of it helping us emotionally and mentally. That's like the worst thing that we can ever start thinking about is our games going to no longer be accessible to me and i thought that and i i i always tell people it was when i start i tried to play kingdom hearts 3 after it first released i couldn't get for um through thebes you know the first world based off of hercules i couldn't get past that and i remember throwing my ps4 controller into the wall and calling my mom just shouting and crying because i'm just like i gotta give up gaming and then you know, fast forward a couple of years, Last of Us Part Two comes out, and then I'm like, "Oh, well, shit! Companies are actually making games accessible. Maybe I don't have to give up gaming." And that's when you're like, "Well, it's not the fact that I'm disabled that makes it impossible for me to play games. It's the fact that the studios haven't made the games accessible for me to play because I'm not the problem. My disability and my chronic or chronic health conditions—that's not the problem. It's that." The software, the hardware, we're not the problem. We just have to have people understand that they have to make things accessible for us. So once I started realizing that, I'm just like, oh, I don't have to give up gaming. 
I need to be involved with it even more to help to make sure that not only myself, but the next generation of gamers don't ever have to feel that way. And it's true. I can't, there's nothing else I can say. That's true. <laughs> you can't put it any differently. It's the, the developers need to be taken into consideration. Every form of disability, mm -hmm. every form of inclusion and diversity when making their games. It's about making these games accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. That's not, there's a big thing at the moment about approachability. That's not making them approachable, that's making them accessible. There is a very, big very, difference. very big difference. And we get it's getting better. Yes, it is. It's, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> I now have spoke to many developers from many different games and it's not easy to start. Mm. It's no. easy. It's easy once you know how and you've ingrained it and people and look and just it's becomes done without thought. Yeah. Then it becomes an easy process. Yeah. And then it becomes God of War. It becomes The Last of Us 2. Mm -hmm. It becomes yeah. Spider-Man 2. It yeah. becomes Mars Morales. It becomes the games then become accessible without you having to scream, shout, and fight for it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, and it, it, you still, we still have to scream, shout, and fight for it at the moment. <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm not denying that. And yeah. I hope to think in 10 years' time, I might be able to scream and shout a little bit less. Yeah. Yeah. It's like every couple of years, we get to turn the volume of our screaming down just to. Just, just like that's the, just yeah, you've got to, even, yeah. But that's that. But that's but that's that's the moral victory is we get to turn it down a little bit. It's like that, I say to people, yeah. oh, my end goal is to be redundant. Mm -hmm. The moment I can sit in front, sit at home, buy the latest AAA title release, load it up, make the text bigger, make the contrast how I would like it, make the HUD bigger, and that's every single game that's released. I can say my job is done. Yeah, and I will happily hang up the wobbly gamers accessibility hat and sit back and enjoy video games with my ch my child or probably my my adult son or my grandchildren by that yeah. point. Yeah, but until that point, I've got to keep doing what I do, and I won't stop till I get there. No, and and... they've that we disabled people when they've got their back up about something. The ones I've met don't stop until they get what they want because we've had to do that our whole lives for everything yeah. we've ever done. Yeah. And there is a f number of us in the dis disabled community and the accessibility community that want this and developers are going to be hearing about this until we get it because that's what we've had to do for our whole life, whether that was until we got the magnifying glass at school that actually worked mm -hmm. or we got the bus pass we needed because the council weren't listening or whatever we've had to scream and shout about everything and anything and we got pretty bloody good at it yeah yeah it but you know it's still going to be a long time coming until you and you know hopefully what i can eventually do becomes redundant because as of right now is definitely a long time in the future. Oh because, yes. Um, there's just still a lot of studios that just aren't catching on, or they just refuse to take the step into it, or they just want to continue to drag their feet. And 
I completely understand for a company like Nintendo, it might be like an Eastern versus Western culture thing. Cause you know, obviously in Japan, disability is looked upon very negatively. Um, um, you know, they would rather it be behind closed doors than out in the open. So I can understand that, but with a company like then that has such a large market in America and actually has a company, you know, a separate company in America, you would hope that, you know, something, at least something could come out of it that's accessible. And then, you know, there's so many concerns with, you know, games coming out like Starfield. I mean, we don't really know like what all accessibility features are going to be in a game like Starfield, but that's this next big game. Like I read an article, like Todd, he went on um a podcast. He's like, well, we're going to have a large font mode. I'm like, mode. I hope that's not the only freaking thing you have, buddy, because if it is, that's going to be a shit game. It, it, it's, it's scary. It is scary. To think mm-hmm. that- He's four, three months, not even three months, two months prior to launch when this podcast that was aired. Yeah. I was in an IGN article and I sent off the bits that I was the question, the answers to the questions that morning. Mm-hmm. Most of my, most of my answers to the questions were me moaning about tech size. And he comes out and he goes, well, we've got a large font mode. I've played games that have got large font modes that re- increase the pixels by about 0.5% yeah. just because they can say it's got a large font mode. It means Jack, Mm-hmm. all without hard proof in my opinion mm-hmm. i could there's games companies that have previously said we've got text-to-speech and everyone's like oh brilliant screen readers work no screen readers don't work it just uses the text-to-speech that is a legal requirement in america so it reads out what game chat has said that's all it is yeah but they've advertised it as the whole the whole game's text-to-speech no it's not it's just that one setting and it it it's it's a moral it's a moral minefield and it's hard because you want to scream and shout about it. Yeah. But it's also someone's job. It's also someone that's not been allowed to do it, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's a business. It's a bottom line. It's it's everything. And it's really tricky to have these discussions because being disabled still sometimes, as you've said in Japan especially, it's taboo. Yeah. Oh, we can't ask a disabled person to come in and talk to us about being disabled. Actually, you can. Yeah. And I'll do it. And you'll yeah. do it. And mm-hmm. we know hundreds of people that will do it. It's it's not like we're not going to come in and talk to people about how we play video games, why we play video games, and why you should be making your games accessible as developers. It's it's not it's not taboo. It's not yeah, it's not the elephant in the room. Yeah. Or and I don't, I don't want to bring up a can of, open this can of worms because it's already been so well covered by Grant Stoner. But it's like from software being like, oh, we can't make our games easier because it would jeopardize our artistic vision. It's like, okay, well, if you can't offer easier difficulties that would help disabled people to have a better time of your game, then your artistic uh, vision isn't good enough from the beginning. So again, I no, don't want to open I, it up it's... because Grant has done an amazing job with his article that he uh, he published. But it's just like, come on, I those excuses so... don't 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 fly anymore. <laughs> a certain game that rhymes with Smeldon Ding. I received. <laughs> <laughs> I received um, death threats over that one. Really? 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's that's sad. That's really sad. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah, it's gatekeeping of its mm-hmm. highest order. Mm-hmm. I think I tweeted something. I was saying got a refund on Elden Ring, mm-hmm. and it didn't go. I wouldn't use the term went viral, but the, the few people in the 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 um def, the the community found out about it and decided it was okay to tell me to get good to go play something else. And why should disabled people be playing games amongst some other quite horrific things? And I was just like, do you know what? It's not even worth my time and effort. I'm a big believer in the block button. Yeah, save here. Uh, I will throw a block. Doesn't bother me. And yeah, but it's eventually what what will happen is these companies are going to go shit. We have to do this because I can see it being a legal requirement eventually. Mm-hmm. It's that's a long way off. That's not that's not that's not me looking into the next couple of years. That's me looking into the next couple of decades. That's that's a long way off. But the inclusion's becoming huge. I don't think it's very long until a doctor tells someone with a mental health issue to go play a video game. Oh no, a hundred percent. I mean, I think that is such a good way of talking to your friends, socializing, making friends. I've done a blog post about how a game, Player Unknown's Battleground, PUBG, a community made that game accessible to me. Mm-hmm. I'd stopped playing it because I didn't have people to play it with and I couldn't see the enemies. I was getting shot before I even found out. And a group of people that I met through streamers, through Twitch, just went, come play with us. Yeah. And they let me play games with them. They've learned that I can be just as good as them as long as I know where the bloody enemy is. Yeah. And they don't care. They're not once has one person gone, oh, you're not playing with us today. Well, we don't want you to play with us because you're bad or we don't, we can't, we're not going to tell you where they are. But it's not, I've had none of that. It literally was, let's play games. Let's, we know you can be good as, just as good as us if you're given a little bit of help. And like this year, this season for the first time ever on PUBG, I've got a two plus KD and I am loving life. <laughs> but without, but without this group of 30 people that I've met on the internet, I wouldn't be able to play it. Right. And, but I've met friend, made friends. I've met him in real life. I speak to them daily. I, if I'm having a bad day, I speak to them. And that's what I think gaming needs to be accessible because that opens up another whole world of possibilities about pe- speaking up about mental health problems. If you're having a shit day, you can message someone that you game with. Do you want to jump in and play a few games and I can forget about everything for an hour? Yeah. And that's, that's what I said. I could sit here for hours and talk about it. It's. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, definitely one big hot button for me is uh, the fact that there's still so many companies that aren't making their games accessible when there really are so many resources out there to start doing that and, you know, not really taking the initiative. That That's the second one is video games are bad. Video games are evil because no so many studies have gone into that and again i don't want to beat this horse to death because it's already been killed (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's already been long killed um but the positive effects that gaming have on mental emotional stability are proven they've been Mm -hmm. verified and they've been done over and over peer review and you know officially you know published so it's a proven fact that these games help people and you know, I've heard like, you know, Sea of Thieves, you know, 
not the most accessible games for visually impaired people, but I've heard of, you know, similar things. Group of people get introduced to the visually impaired gamer. They start chatting, form a friendship, join a crew together, and now they're playing together and the visually impaired gamer is playing with them and having a good time. I've heard story about how a community of gamers on Destiny helped uh, a terminally ill, um, I think he had cancer, um, you know, accomplish one of the hardest things in the game. Um, and it's just, there's so many good communities out of there. Just the, you know, the more toxic ones usually win the day in terms of conversation. But there's so many positive effects that gaming have. And I think especially for someone, say, with like, you know, like ALS or like an autoimmune disorder where they really don't have a lot of opportunities to leave their houses, video games can be a real big benefit to them because it allows them communication and connectivity with the outside world. And I think we just be a lifeline. Absolutely. And I think what's important and what we need to do is we just need to change the understanding of friendships and what, you know, constitutes as a real life friendship, you know, big air quotes, you know, around real life, because why should someone through a video game not be considered a real life friend? It's BS. If you say that they can't be, Mm -hmm. I would probably put money on if something happened majorly wrong in my life that a group of people I've met over the internet would be here just as quick as people I've known for my whole life mm-hmm. and that's probably true for many a gamers and many a gamers that have been friends for years especially since like it sounds but the Call, of, the Call of Duty franchise has been going on for however many years now I've been playing it for 20 years if not longer and there's probably blokes that are 40 that when they're playing it with their friends that are 20 that still play that game together mm. day in, day out. Probably Some of them probably still have never met and they've known each other for 20 years. But you can't tell me they're not real friends. Mm. <laughs> you can't even sit there and fathom. That's friendships that has lasted longer than most in real life friendships that connect and talk more than most in real life friendships. It's not... A matter of in real life friendships versus virtual friendships it's just friendships and that's all that should matter yeah yeah it's just in this digital age it's just like shouldn't we be more accepting of friendships formed online i mean honestly we have to make sure that we're being safe with the people we're making friends with because obviously people will take advantage of others especially young adults um and young children so yeah completely understand that you want it to be safe but i would just think in this digital age you know it's just like can't we be a little bit more accepting of friendships made online especially for people who can't leave their house because it like you said it it keeps them connected to the world and they get to meet people that they can form friendships with that otherwise they would just be by themselves with their caregiver or caretaker my my best friend and moderator on my channel conundrum mm. moved in with his girlfriend and their first date was during lockdown and it was playing red dead 2 <laughs> they met via tinder online messaging online had their first however many dates it was 
playing Red Dead Red Dead Redemption 2 online together. Met in real life and moved in with each other. And we'll probably be getting married someday. And you can't tell me that because they met online, that's not a true relationship because that's not true. Mm-hmm. And there's people getting married, people are having League of Legends themed weddings because yeah. they've met through League of Legends. Someone had a Sea of Thieves wedding I saw on Twitter yes. because they met playing Sea of Thieves. It's no different. If you meet someone gaming, it's no different to meeting them on Facebook dating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's it doesn't take away from a relationship because it's virtual. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you've, there's enough bits of technology like we're doing now, sitting face to face via a camera, chatting away, and I can see you, you can see me, and it is no different to being you sat opposite a table opposite of my desk with a cup of coffee chatting away to me with a mic in between us this is exactly the same as that hundred <laughs> yeah, percent and just speaks to the importance of continuing to advocate um and work for just more digital accessibility um and, and mm-hmm. inclusivity because it really is for as much as we've tapped it i think there's still so much un, unimaginable uh you know possibilities that can come out of it um, and maybe we're just not examining it from the right sort of point of views. Yeah, it's not. It's easy for someone that's never had to do it virtually or never had to isolate other than during lockdown or for whatever reason to sit in front of a newspaper article screen writing whatever they're doing and say that virtual relationships don't count or video games are going to make me go and blow up a building funnily enough I've played cliche (laughs) yeah it had to come out didn't it I've played 20 years of Call of Duty and never wanted to go and shoot someone it's (laughs) no no I've I've never been you know playing you know Skyrim and then just assassinating people in the Dark Brotherhood I go you know what I'm gonna become a mercenary yeah I'm yeah it's not I've never gone outside and said I'm going to play American football because I can play NFL because I'm going to get killed. It's <laughs> it's just stupidness. It's just narrow-minded people not willing to embrace a new age, a new era of technology. And there's something I make the joke of, I'm teaching my little boy to be the next biggest name in Fortnite because <laughs> I think in 10 years' time, Fortnite esports players are going to probably be earning just as much as footballers. So there you go. <laughs> I think some of them do, though. Yeah, already. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I'm not training the next footballer. I'm training the next ninja. All right. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's just like the craziness. You know, one, when you look at it, like right now, like there was a recent article that the single largest like entertainment like industry right now that making the most money, video games. It's yeah. it's the most in terms of revenue, overall revenue, just coming into it. So it's it's like okay, there's there's already that, but then you've got like these ninjas, these guys like ninja, just okay. How much, did, oh, how much? Oh, how much? How much did you make? The tap uh, man. It's like, oh, that's yeah. It's just like, uh, how much did you make? Oh, you made like a billion dollars in one in like six months. That must be nice. <laughs> how did you do it? Playing video games. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Playing video games in front of a camera and having people scream and shout my name in the streets two days later because 
they've seen me playing video games. Mm-hmm. They're bigger celeb. They're, people will remember Ninja in 50 years' time just as well as they remember Michael Jackson from the era before us or whoever because of what they've done in the era before us. The biggest names in the next 50 years are going to be esports stars. They're going to be streamers. They're going to be content creators. They're going to be whatever they're not going to be your stereotypical singers sports stars sports stars and rappers and singers are now starting to stream on twitch because they're not stupid yeah or they're coming up with their own youtube channels to like just do like little videos of them talking about something or you know sharing an interaction it's just like the the modern superstar really has shifted to the content creators and it's been that way for quite some time you know again love or love or hate them freaking logan paul the paul brothers i mean look how much those those guys make and honestly you know i'm not a fan of them personally but i mean they have their audience and i mean it's just catapulted them i mean fucking logan paul's in the wwe now as a wrestler like what the hell? Yeah. What the hell? He's, yeah. If I went upstairs and asked my six-year-old little boy who Justin Bieber was, yeah. he wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. But if I said to him, who's Mr. Beast? Or yes. Yeah. Who's who's Jelly? Or mm-hmm. who's Unspeakable? Mm-hmm. He'd go, oh, I know who Unspeakable is because I've got a hoodie with his name on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know who Jelly is because I've got a hat with Jelly's logo on it because he watches them play minecraft for mm-hmm. four hours a day he doesn't spend that much time a day playing <laughs> watching it before someone comes for me and tells me i'm a bad parent or whatever <laughs> but he knows who they are because that's his age that's mm-hmm. who their celebrities are now he still he still knows who the paw patrol are he does but he also now knows who mr beast is and <laughs> He he knows what I do. He he knows I'm a streamer, and he understands it. And he understands it better than my parents do. It's <laughs> try tell try telling a sixty year old lady with dementia what I do for a living is not easy. <laughs> yeah, you know, especially because you know, um, I don't know about you, but like my parents, uh, were very much in the mindset at least until you know recently, where it's just like, uh, you know, video gaming, that's not a career. There's no way you can make a love of video games into like an actual a career or lifestyle. And then, bam, completely just shifts. You know, YouTube comes around, Twitch comes around, and then everything just gets mixed up. And they're just like, okay, well, we were completely wrong. <laughs> so when I started to make this like a viable career business, my dad just sat there and he just looked at me and he went, now I can't tell you them hours as a kid you play video games are wasted, can I? <laughs> and Mr. Smug over here kind of clicked his fingers and just went, no, no, you can't, and <laughs> skipped off back behind my desk to play more video games. <laughs> Everybody in the street's like, Wobble seems like he's in a really good mood today. I wonder what happened. <laughs> yeah. As my dad still trying to wrap his round, head around why people are sitting watching me play video games, I'm like, oh, it's, it's what you do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just video games really changed a lot of things. And it's just crazy to think, you know, we started all the way back when it was just Pong, you know, just something as simple as Pong, you know, or freaking Astro Blasters or Galaga. Space Invaders. Yeah, Space Invaders. Then it went to Pac-Man and Tetris, and now we're getting technical. Yeah. 
and yeah, and it's just it's the fastest developing industry as well. Well, then now it's you've got gone... like a game like Starfield that's going to come out, and you're just like, yeah. holy shit, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. And there's talk of games that are going to be never ending because of AI being involved and mm-hmm. whatever. It's going to be, it, and that's in 30 years. What is gaming going to be like in 50 years? It's going to be embedded into our skulls, and then it's going to like <laughs> pop out with like, like a like a like like a hologram like projection. And then I just hope to God I'm still not moaning about tech size. <laughs> <laughs> I could just see my or, Twitter or, in 50 years. Or, or it'll go to like, uh, you know, the anime nerd in me. It's going to bring out, like it goes into like the whole like Sword Art Online route where you literally just like put like the visor in and you literally get transported into the game. And you Ready literally have... one style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there we go. That's, yeah, a, yeah, that's yeah. a better one for all the other uh, non-anime yeah. fans. Ready Player One. Very, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, it's but it's Call of Duty 400, and the Wobbly Gamer is still and the Wobbly Gamer is still moaning about tech size on, on the Twitter. PS 73. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, it's gonna yeah. But you know what? It'll, it'll probably be a job that you do have for the rest of your life, and hopefully, you know. I I honestly you think big picture, but I know for you, you're probably in the mindset of hopefully. When you do leave, you've made it a better place where there isn't as much struggle or, you know, there doesn't need to be as much busy work because we've left it in a better place for people to pick it up. I just, something that resonates hugely with me is children in, disabled children in gaming, Mm -hmm. being isolated. And Mm -hmm. I have genuinely said if I could go tomorrow knowing that I'd made one game accessible to a child that went to school to be able to tell his friends he's played it too because of something I said to a developer or conversation I had, I would die a much happier man. Mm-hmm. And that is what I want to do. I don't, I don't even want to be remembered. for. I don't want my name to be remembered. I don't want anyone to be like, oh, whatever. I just want video games to be accessible. <laughs> and that's it. And that's what this whole journey's been. It it's it started off with a tweet to a developer, a community manager at EA, me telling them that basically FIFA is shit for someone that's visually impaired. And five years later, I still talk to him. He doesn't work for them anymore. He works for another games company. And we're playing Fortnite in the next couple of weeks together. And it's all down to one tweet that one person paid attention to. And it it's that it's why should I not be able to play FIFA because I can't see mm-hmm. and it started off as a bit of a selfish thing to yeah. be honest it was I want to be able to play FIFA for my reasons and then I looked into it more and more and more and really I'm starting to think about it and realize that growing up games weren't accessible to me and my mates put up with that and played them with me and i when we used to play Call of Duty or Ghost Recon co-op mode, spit screen in my mum and dad's front room and I had to sit with my nose touching the little bottom right-hand side corner of the screen. I was always player four because I had to have the bottom right cube. So otherwise my head would get in the way because I'd be sat that close. And when you're a kid, it's like, oh, that's nothing. But the more I think about it now, I'm like, that's because that game's inaccessible. Mm-hmm. 
And it's, yeah, and now I don't want to be playing number four. That visually impaired child should not have to be playing number four because they're visually impaired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know what? It's okay to be selfish sometimes because had you never made that tweet, then you would never be on this journey. And it's no different than, heck, I mean, very similar to what Brandon Cole, that's how it started for him. You know, he was literally speaking at an event and he had the opportunity to call out Naughty Dog and say, I wish I could play a game like Last of Us, but I can't. And then literally he just said that. Obviously, you know, he meant it because like, I'd love to see it games be more accessible, but obviously a little bit selfish on his part too. It's like, hey, I want to play that game, but I can't because it's not accessible. And then, bam, he becomes one of the lead consultants on part two. And... Obviously, that game did so much for accessibility for a lot of people. Not Maybe not everybody, but it, it did a lot. So it's like, look what being selfish can do sometimes. So again, it's like everything. There's a good and a bad side to these words. Um, and there can be good that comes out of being selfish. Oh, 100%. And it's just, it's like you've said, it shows that it can be done. And someone like Brandon Cole standing up and saying six words mm-hmm. changed the shift, mm-hmm. changed the whole dynamic of the games industry to look towards accessibility. If he didn't stand up in that conference room or whatever it was and say them little words mm-hmm. and someone went, oh God, actually he's right, we could make, we could probably do this, mm-hmm. then Last of Us 2 wouldn't have been what it was. And then, which changed, I would I firsthand know for a fact that game changed the industry because mm-hmm. I went from knocking on games developers' doors to games developers going to me, listening to me, following me on Twitter, mm-hmm. following me on Twitch, and paying attention to me moaning about tech size. <laughs> <laughs> but I have it- got a reputation now. For, that's, it's a cliche, but that's what everyone says. <laughs> oh, yeah, you moan about tech size on Twitter. I'm like, that's the one. That's me. <laughs> They they get a message like they have like their their assistant, um, sir, um, yes, what what is it? Um, we have a message from a wobbly. Ge- Damn it! Like, I'm sorry. What's the matter? It's the tech size guy. Yeah, literally. Yeah, it's the tech size guy. Tim, ah, what shit, does he want better, this time? Ah, shit, what does he want? Tell him I've gone for lunch. He's on the call. He's on the phone right now. I'm in a meeting. But you're eating. A- I'm in a meeting. <laughs> It is, and that's. But I, I don't want to be known for anything else. I know, it's a it, good it, reputation it, to have. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I don't want to be known for anything else. I am quite happy to be known as the guy that moans about video game tech size on Twitter, because if it makes a difference in someone developing their game, sits down and goes, "If I don't make this tech size changeable, the wobbly game is going to come for me on Twitter." I am more than happy to have that reputation. <laughs> See, maybe that's what I need to do. I need to become the one that's known for moaning about no navigational assistance because that's the big one for me as someone with advanced vision loss as I have is it doesn't matter if you have all the bells and whistles for your game. Oh, it's like, oh we got text size. We got color contrast mode. We got auto aim and auto combat. That's great. But can I get to point A to point B in your game? And you're like, oh, well, I mean, you can use audio because yeah, 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 but is there literally a way that the <laughs> game can help me get to point A to point B? No. Okay, well, um, I'm probably not going to be able to play it. So maybe I just need to be the guy that becomes annoying about that. <laughs> yeah. 
find your cliche and stick with it. <laughs> it's true though. It's there's so many games. I I am a big believer in singing about the positives as well as the negatives when a game becomes accessible. A hundred percent. Every even if it falls short in certain areas, mm-hmm. it's a step in the right direction. Still innovation. And like you've said about Starfield, I've got a small amount of hope. Yeah. Because playing Redfall was actually the most accessible Bethesda title to date. Which is funny because that has such a it bad... Was sh- it was terrible. It, it was really bad. I, I know. But you know you know what? I give Bethesda a lot of crap. And some of it is deserved. Some of it's not. You know, it's the usual cliche. It's like, I'll buy a Bethesda game not play it for at least a year and a half so they can work out all the bugs. So that way, when I do play it, uh, the game's actually playable and not broken. <laughs> it's just... Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's, that, that's Redfall. That's Redfall to a T. But I will say they were one of the first games I ever played. They have one of the first games I ever played that had a navigational assistance in their game. And I always will point back to Skyrim. Having the clairvoyance spell, which literally helps me get from point A to point B. I can be anywhere. I can be in Windhelm and I need to go to Riverwood. I can mark it on my map and use the spell and it gets me there, tells me when to go left, tells me when to go right, tells me when I've was gone that, too far. Was that a mod? No. Was that a mod? No, no. That's an in-game thing that you can get from the start of the game once you get to Riverwood. Um, it's called Clairvoyance. And literally what it is, is it's a spell in the illusion cast for magic. And if you have a quest, say you have the golden claw quest that you get in Riverwood from the, 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 yeah. um, the market. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can literally go to your menu, select it as the active quest. And as long as it's selected active and there's a marker on the map, you can use clairvoyance and it projects a purple mist trail in front of your character and it literally turns left when you need to go left turns right when you need to i've go got left. right yeah i have played so many playthroughs of skyrim and i promise i swear to myself every time i start it i'm, like, I'm not going to be a wood elf that uses a bow and arrow and be a cliche an hour later i'm starting for another playthrough of a wood elf with a bow and arrow <laughs> but that's one of my accessibility Issues is Skyrim because I played Skyrim when I was had a bit better vision mm-hmm. and adored it. Oblivion. If anyone wants me to help them make a re- Oblivion remake, I'm here for it because Oblivion is still the best game I've ever played. That would be amazing! Oh my goodness! And then all of that's the- it's, it's what I want. It, it, aside from accessibility in video games, if someone wants to make an Oblivion remake, I would I would help in any way, shape, or form. That because that way. game, that game blew my mind. That was my like oh moment of video games because I just escaped into oblivion, literally. Yeah. I just adore that game. Similar I can't. Skyrim with me, and it, it's it's funny because I originally hated the game because I was a stupid gamer. Um. I literally, you know, you start out, there's that big cinematic with you getting brought to Helgen's Keep and you're about to get executed for no good reason. <laughs> and <laughs> you're attacked by Alduin and, you know, you got to escape. I was such a stupid boy. I was like 
how do I get I I would get lost in the building that's on fire after you jump from the the tower. The, the, yeah. And I'm like, where do I go from here? And I literally remember, I'll never forget texting my friend say, I don't know what all the hype is about Skyrim. The game sucks. And my friend's like, what are you talking about? Have you even seen <laughs> it? I'm like, I can't get out of Helgen's keep. And he's like, dude, what are you talking about? And he came over, you know, help me get through that. Help me get the Riverwood. And then he that's when I found, you know, the, the clairvoyance spell on my own. He's like, all right, here. This is where the actual game starts. Try playing it now and then tell me if it still sucks. And then I just stumbled upon an accidental accessibility feature and they're my favorite yeah it's one i love of my an accidental still, accessibility yeah, feature. still favorite. to this day one of my favorite games because of finding something like that i'm like oh shit they have this i wonder if the people that made this game know that they can use it like this because this is critical <laughs> yeah and it, it's they never thought it'd be help a blind player play a game no, no never Never, not that never surpassed their head, and that's what Assassin. I use Assassin's Creed Eagle Vision, whatever you want to call it. Yes, a- accidental accessibility because mm-hmm. it turns the game high contrast only for a short amount of time. I don't have to spend an hour. I played The Witcher and I played The Witcher for about an hour and gave up mm-hmm. because I had to ask my wife where something was because I couldn't see it, yeah. even using their version of whatever it was. And I just went, no, I was like, I, it's, it's not, I don't like asking for help, but I shouldn't have to ask for help. Yeah. That's my go-to tagline when they talk about it, because I am a 30-year-old bloke that's played video games for 25 years. I shouldn't have to ask my wife to help me find a key on a floor in a video game, mm-hmm. because yeah. I can't see it. It's like you've said, that's not my fault. Yeah, That's the video yeah. game developer's fault. Yeah. And, and again, we acknowledge all the the things you put into it that are there because you have to. You can't just be completely negative and ignore what work that has been gone, you know, put into it and the things that are established in it. But I'm like you. It's like again, even if I'm utilizing all of the features available, but I still have to ask for help, then you you still haven't made a game that's inclusive for me. So there's still a conversation okay. that needs to be had with someone either that's like me or me myself yeah and it's it's like i said it's having a conversation mm-hmm. it's not shouting about it sometimes mm-hmm. it's not getting angry with games developers because sometimes they just don't know yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. not going to help it's not going to help anyone if you go into a room screaming and shout at them whilst they've spent five years making something because yeah. video games aren't made overnight it's not a click yeah. and it's all of a sudden yeah. in front of you they take years to develop mm-hmm. and these guys that are making them um, and girls and whatever people that are making them i should say are putting their time and effort into it and it's no different for me walking into the art museum in london walking up to picasso's mon whatever it is mona lisa and going it's a bit shit that is really isn't it (laughs) (laughs) it's like going to mona lisa yeah exactly it's like man this is a piece of shit it's just like excuse me this is one of the most famous paintings like i don't care it's shit yeah, it is, and that they, they don't want to hear that, and the game developer doesn't want you to doesn't want to hear that. He's no. not gonna, and it's not. He's just gonna go. If you leave that room, he's gonna turn to the person that's organised that meeting with him and go, "Don't invite that person back again," because he's an. Or 
even worse is let's not ever work with that community. Yeah. And that's what my, that's what I, when I talk to people about it is it's really easy to get angry about games not being accessible. Mm -hmm. Trust me. I'm a prime example of that, (laughs) but it's also about initiating the conversations in the right way and being a professional about it and being an adult about it and realizing that yes, these games are inaccessible, but these developers are one, most of them are trying and two, they're humans as well. Mm-hmm. They're not robots. They're humans that are trying their hardest in the circumstances they're put in. And if you sit and have a conversation with them about accessibility, 99.9% of them will listen and be empathetic and understand why you're moaning and understand your gripes and will probably try to help you. But it's about finding the spaces and time to initiate these conversations is where the biggest barrier is, yeah. I believe. Mm-hmm. yeah it's not always easy to get you know just even say like 20 minutes of their time sometimes um sometimes you you you've got to get yourself into workshops or have like peer group time so sometimes it may not be easy um so that's why you know if ever the chance comes upon it definitely take it because you know it could really change the industry forever i mean it's literally what has happened basically it's just someone spoke up when they had it just had a moment of time and then bam now the industry's never been the same um and obviously there's been people before brandon and um well before him but it's just you know still you know those those tiny little moments in time they can change things completely forever I think that's probably a good place to end it on, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a um, very, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I will ask you one last thing, though, and that is Crack on. Where, pe- where people can follow you, catch your streams, and how to so, support you. I am on Twitch as the Wobbly Gamer. That's the Wobbly, W-O-B-B-L-Y Gamer, as it's spelled. And I am the same on all social media platforms instagram facebook twitter tiktok i'm out there youtube as the wobbly gamer i'm doing what i do and i'm here to talk to people as well and listen to people who want to talk about video games about helping visually impaired people into how they play games because that's part of what i like doing as well is putting people in the right direction especially if they think as a gamer they can't game due to a disability we don't have that talk in my chat we will help you out don't you worry so yeah drop me a follow and just yeah get involved yeah and uh catch him kick the real grumpy dad's butt at fifa <laughs> you had to go there didn't you you could I not leave it out i do i do i love you chris ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, amen i thought you and simon would be on his side that's the best bit you both want him to get absolutely no, humiliated he's talking too much smack he needs to be humbled <laughs> and you're gonna do it and it's gonna be amazing just like this conversation we've had tonight And I'm so thankful that you could be on this episode with me, my friend. Thank you for talking. No, thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. 
All right. Well, everybody, that is it for today's episode. Thank you again to my amazing guest, the Wobbly Gamer. Please do go support him. Follow him. Check out his streams. He's amazing. He's doing some great stuff. And please do support him. You know, that's all I ask is you don't even have to support me. Just please support my guests. It means so much more to me when you help my guests get the spotlight that they deserve because they do deserve it. Every guest that comes on here is great and powerful, like I always say in the intros. Uh, anyways, that's it for today's episode. If you know anybody that wants to listen to this podcast, please do recommend it to them. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Have them search for The Unsighted Radio. Make sure to tell them, though, to spell the word unsighted, U-N-S-Y as in Yankee, T-E-D, The Unsighted Radio. We are on social media. If you would like to follow us there, go to Twitter at Unsighted Radio. It's at Unsighted Radio. Again, one word, at Unsighted Radio. We are on Facebook, The Unsighted Radio. It's just The Unsighted Radio. We're on Facebook. I'm definitely trying to be more uh, present there. Um, right now, that's it. Um, I'm playing around with threads to see if that is accessible in a place that I might get some, you know, eyeballs there so stay tuned maybe i will start promoting it there but for right now i'm just trying it out personally but maybe maybe threads too but until then twitter and facebook make sure to follow would love to talk to you there and if you want to send me an email just uh go to cmbalton at yahoo.com it's c as in chad m as in michael b as in boy o-u-t-o-n at yahoo.com all right guys well until we see each other again stay safe be kind and I'll see you soon. Bye, guys.